target practice for what we're doing in Scripture today. And if, if, you're, if you're a mom, you, you might feel targeted a lot, either by kids or by your spouse or by work or by teachers. Um, it's interesting, a recent Barna study that studies Christian statistics and also cultural statistics, when they looked at where do kids go in terms when there's a life crisis, we would vote for who? We would say, oh, definitely it's their friends. That's where kids go. They go to their music with their pain, and they go to friends with a life crisis. But when they played that out statistically, it was interesting to me. I would have guessed friends would have been the way above anything else, and there were other things, dads and this and teachers and coaches, and moms were only 4% behind friends. Uh, you are the target for your children when they're in need, and many times we feel like we have a target on our back. Uh, what's the target for us? Not just as moms, but as church family, as grandparents, as co-workers, as neighbors, what's the target? What's the goal? Look, here's the deal. I was a tall kid early on. When I was K-5, I didn't hang out with K-5 people. I hung out with second and third graders. I ran with the rough crowd because I looked older. But being the youngest kid in that crowd, Sometimes I got picked on and was asked to do things, and they'd get me to do it because I was the youngest. And one day, one of the kids had gotten a kid's bow and arrow set, and he said, hey, take this little play gun and grab the barrel, hold it up, and see if I can shoot the stock. So I grabbed the barrel, I held it out like this, and the kid just, boom, hit the stock perfectly. And so I said to him, I said, I bet you can't do that again. Y'all, I am a genius. He couldn't do it again. And the arrow stuck between these two knuckles right there. I got shot by an arrow. <laughs> now, we told my parents that I had fell and landed on glass because there was a lot of blood and yucky stuff. Um, by the way, uh, for those on live stream, Joel Kreider and Steve Miller, who headed that up, you might want to lay low for a while. Uh, <laughs> I call it rough, roughhousing or silly play, but uh, there's a technical term for that. It's called attempted murder. So uh, <laughs> I was a target. Um, as we look to this scripture, and again, we're not going to walk through every scripture, but Renee's already reminded us, what is the target? Sometimes we can let go without aiming well. Sometimes uh, we can aim for the wrong target, whatever culture tells us to, whatever traditions told us to do, uh, and maybe we just don't even have a target in mind. I don't think we can read these passages without saying that there was a target in mind, not just with Jesus, but what we see play out in Peter's life, what you see play out in Moses's life, what you see play out in Samuel's life, over and over again in scriptures, the influence and the place of people, synagogues and church families, but also the immediate family, how that plays out so that the goal and the target is met. And I say all of us, y'all, this is a word for all of us, as co-workers and neighbors when we're at our play, how is it we can make sure to hit that goal and that target. What do you think Peter's mom dreamed for him? Was it to be uh, this, especially in that culture, a respected and revered rabbi? Because he wasn't. 
At this age, he would have already been selected. He was not the best of the best. He was rejected by every rabbi. Does she want for him a certain status with vocation? Does she want it? Whatever she wants, I don't know. And you look at this response, though. Her parenting has hit the target. Now, there's going to be a whole lot of bumps for Peter in, in Mark's gospel. And I think Peter had a hand in telling Mark about those bumps. To make sure, as John Oswald said with us a few months ago, that Mark understood the real struggle. But here, Peter responds to the call. On Pentecost, that first opportunity, the push against the church. What's going on with you guys? Who of the 11 stand up? It's Peter. And later, even though he fights that call in late John's gospel, where where Jesus is reminding him how he's going to die, when that, when that call comes, church tradition says he walked to his death for Christ. Place after place after place, he makes the target of responding to Jesus, whatever is your will. That's the target. Listen, we get pressured. Especially if you're a mom today, you're asked to be an algebra whiz, Rachel Ray, Dr. Phil, Uber driver. They tell us you ought to make about $170,000 a year just if you fulfill the role of, of being a mom. And Sarah will remind me of that this afternoon. Uh, she'll give me a bill. What's the goal and what's the intentional target? And culture will tell us many things. I wonder, the, the, and we've talked about this a little bit, and she'll be at second service. The struggle with my mom when I began in high school to talk about my call, that I had a call in my life. I don't know that that's exactly what she wanted for me, was to be a pastor and a preacher. We, we had some conversations about that. Can you, as we said last year on Mother's Day, let go, and the only thing you want for your children and for the children of our church and for your friends is that they be in the center of God's will. That when God calls, they will say, yes, get up and follow, no matter the cost. There had to have been real struggle there for her, for Peter's mom, for mother-in-law's. For had to have been struggle. And listen, we, we face in our culture, we bump into other targets that are good things that we want. For our church's kids, as we celebrated just last week, there are educational accomplishments. But that can, that can become an idol in, in, our, in our age, and it can really be sometimes the pressure of the soul target, right? Now listen, education is critical. If you talk to Father Wesley, part of the reasons preachers wear robes is not just to cover up the fact that we don't dress well or we have bad ties, all right? You have a robe because he expected his preachers to be educated, that they would have spent hours upon hours. I think the MDiv degree is a 90 to 100 hour degree now to get a Master's of Divinity. He wanted his preachers to be versed in scriptures and to know church history and know how to pastor. Education is critical. But you and I know educated people with titles by their names who are addicted to all kinds of things, who walk over people all the time. C.S. Lewis said, watching and being careful with the idol of education, a very educated man, C.S. Lewis said, it's as though if education is the only thing, we have castrated the gelding and told him to, to go and be fruitful. 
There has to be something more and a deeper target as important as it is. And also that culture icon that we bump into, happiness or fulfillment. And I want that for my kids. I want that for our church's kids. Or, or just to, to celebrate their passions and even their work. It's huge. Huge from chapter 1 in Genesis all the way through that our work is part of the stewardship mandate. That what we do, whatever calls upon our life to do, those things are for the glory of God and it's critical, it's an important. But let me ask you this. Peter and Andrew and James and John here in this passage are fishermen. Is it how we know them today? Is that what we celebrate? We celebrate their heart. Their heart for Christ. What we want for our kids is the goal and the target. Then in all these things, their education, their life, the way they live out their talents and their gifts, yes, that they would glorify God, but at the heart of it, that they would follow and know Jesus. That's what we really want for our children. It's one of the great things you will do as parents and grandparents, as church members who love on our kids. Um, in a world that's frenetically chasing this and that, in a world that is uh, chasing things to make their children acceptable for the world, one of the things that you will gift them is that the heart of your life Way, the ways you serve through this church, the way you serve the, the people around you, the way you parent. I'm just trying to get you to Jesus. The heart of what I do, the, the goal and the target in my life is to get you uh, to Jesus Christ. I bumped into one of my former uh, college students' parents recently at a meeting at Christ Methodist. And we were talking about he was just a gifted student. We were talking about, you know, I was wanting to know where he had finished up school and he had gone to a, a Mississippi university. We were talking about that, and I said, tell me again what he's doing. She says, well, he's not here. I said, what, what's he doing? Oh, he's in a foreign country. Doing what? Oh, he's teaching English, but actually he's an underground missionary. Now, this kid was gifted in terms of education and what he was going to make for, for himself vocationally, but for two years he had said, you know, I'm going to put my life on hold. I'm going to go away for a year, risk my life in a country that is very, uh, uh, is openly persecuting Christians. I'm going to teach English, risk that. I'll come back for two months to see mama and family. I'm going to go back for another year. My life on hold for two years. That mother was beaming when she told me about that. It's hard to let go. Hard to let go and to let our children risk for the kingdom. It's hard to let go, but, but she had said, I just want him in the center of God's will. There's a glory in that. You think Tammy Breedlove's listening to me today? All she's thinking about is what Glory Blake did five minutes ago. She's beaming over the way her son glorified Jesus Christ. That's what we want. It's actually what Father Wesley, John Wesley, our, our uh, forefather, knew. That's the gift we give. His mom. There, we wouldn't be sitting here today. If it wasn't for his mom in the way she invested the fact that every week she would sit down with each one of her children for one hour and talk about their future talk about the scriptures now listen this woman i think had 542 children it's something like that it's a big number there were tons of kids one hour you get i just want you to tell me about your life and i want to tell you tell me about where you're going they also knew that one hour out every day, she would take her apron and pull it up over her head. Now listen, 
There are several days I'm sure many of us want to do that at work or at home, just pull it over our head. But they knew she had her Bible there. And for one hour a day, they knew it was Jesus' time for Mama. Nobody mess with Mama because she's in prayer and she's reading. That model set for Wesley, who later would write in his journals in, in his 70s or 80s. I'm having trouble getting up in the morning for his hour or two-hour devotion starting at 4 a.m. He learned that from his mom. His mother would not let him read anything until he could read through Genesis. That's how she taught her children to read. The Word of God always before him. He had watched her participation in the life of the church, even so much so that when his dad went to debtor's prison for a time, not being able to pay things, uh, he watched her step up and lead small groups, even in their home. This woman of faith that impacts her son so that when you get to a point like this for Peter and Andrew and James and John or for Father Wesley, when the time comes, will you step up and will you go? Will you be in the center of God's will? We've done our job to get them to the goal and the target. Now listen, it's up to them for their response. It's up to our seniors in their response. But I love how this church has done that well. Prayed for them. Counseled them. Put, put aside budget for them. Had so many countless adults, whether Sunday school or being there on Sunday nights or Wednesday nights, invest in them and have said, here's the target. We just want you to know Jesus. Just Jesus. How is that? That we can, in our neighborhoods, at work, just looking back over a week as parents or grandparents, how am I giving my kiddos? How am I giving my coworkers? How am I giving my spouse? How am I giving my best friend Jesus? So that when Jesus calls, there might be a response. Here's the good news today. When we come today celebrating that, remembering that call upon our lives, he's still calling. We are promised in Scripture, we're promised uh, as, as, as church history has told us that when we come to this table, he will meet us here. This is holy sacrament, an outward sign of an inward and visible grace. He will be present with us. Let's celebrate him today as we hear the invitation that Christ calls to this table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. We remember as we come to this table that on the night in which Christ gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to God, broke the bread, and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to God, gave it to his disciples and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and cup. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your holy church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father. 
now and forever. Amen.